0: We are wrapping up a series today called All In. All In! Yeah! We started this at the beginning of the year, and we talked about... um, we talked about us as a church, and, and us personally, because obviously you guys are the church. We come together, and, and that's what makes up the church. It's a group of people who walk together, you know, learning about God, and walk together in regards to us serving this community. And We talked about 2014, and man, it was, it was a great year. Definitely a banner year. One of the best years of ministry we've ever seen. The best year. And what we were talking about is this next year, now we have some wins. We have some coin in our pocket, you know. We've made some, we've made some wins. We have some chips. And we have to decide what we're going to do with those. Are we going to take and are we going to cash out and go to the buffet, get ourselves some surf and turf, whatever, with the winnings we've had? Or are we going to put those winnings back on the table? Are we going to reinvest them into the game? Are we going to push them to the center? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, we think that 2015 could be a great enough year, a great enough hand that we would just push our our chips to the center and say, I'm all in this next year. I'm all in. I'm not holding stuff back. I'm not hedging my bets. Man, I'm just pushing my chips to the center of the table saying, I'm all all in this next year. Because that's what we want to do at Acts Church this next year. We believe that God has dealt us an amazing hand for 2015. And we believe that if we go all in, we're going to see, man, just an amazing response from it. We really believe, even though 2014 was the best year of ministry we've ever seen, we believe that God could do even greater things this next year. And I believe the same thing for your life. I believe the same thing for your life. I've seen amazing stuff happen in people's lives this last year. Really cool stuff. But are we just going to take a step back and just think that our our faith was behind us or is our faith ahead of us that even greater things could happen? That God could do more in our lives, that God could accomplish more. And that's where it comes to it. Are you willing to put your, your chips back on the table to reinvest into the game, to go all in? We talked about the truth that we find in the Bible, that faith measures how much we see God move. When we have no faith, when we're unwilling to take any steps of faith, we rarely see God move. But when we have opportunity and we step out in faith, that is when we see God move in great ways. It's in the Bible over and over and over again. Stories of people who stepped out in faith and were met by God in amazing ways. And very often people will be like, oh, I want those stories. I wish I could see the sun stand still. I wish I could see the Red Sea part. But that's because you don't realize the fact that In order to see the sun stand still, Joshua had to march all night into battle. And in order to see the Red Sea part, Moses had to stand against a gigantic body of water and watch as armies were coming towards him. You see, those were moments of faith. And when they stepped out in faith, that's when they got to see God move mightily. So I am trying to prod you. I am trying to poke you. I am trying to push you into stepping out in faith in this next year, both by yourself and us as a church saying, let's step out together in this next year. At X Church, we have kind of a simple mantra that we live by. It's love God, love everyone. We took that from the Bible. Didn't come up with that, like I said last week. Every good thing you'll see. Whenever you're like, oh, that's so smart, we just stole it from Jesus. That's how we do stuff here. We just take it from Jesus and, and we use it. Love God, love everyone. It comes from a story in Matthew twenty two, thirty-five 35 forty. If you're here last week, you heard me read this, but I'm going to read it again. It says, One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with a question. This is a religious dude talking to Jesus. He says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus said, love God, love everyone. If you can get that right, everything else falls in line. If you could just do those two things, you wouldn't have to worry about all the other details because everything else really is built on those two subjects. If you can hit that, man, you got it. And that's why we love it because it's simple and it makes sense for us. Man, we have two primary passions, to love God and to love everyone. That's our focus, and we just keep hammering away on it. In 2015, we want you to go all in, and what that means is going all in loving God and going all in loving everyone. Last week, I talked to you all about going all in when it comes to loving God. What that means, and I tried to spell it out for you because I want both these messages to be hyper applicable. When you leave here, you're like, I know I can do something tomorrow to begin to walk down this. Not just a bunch of conversation theologically, but about the application to our lives. And today, I want to talk to you about going all in when it comes to loving everyone. I don't know about you, but me, when, when I started preparing these, if I talk about going all in in faith, like, you know, I'm trying to get people to do and I'm thinking about myself, my mind immediately does go to what we talked about last week. I probably should do more for God. I need to read my Bible. I should, be, I should be attending, and I should be hearing the word of God. I should be doing this stuff, and maybe even serving in a church, which we talked about last week. But I'll be honest, my mind does not usually immediately go to the fact that I need to go all in, man, loving others. My response always goes back to I need to do more to love to love God. But very often, that's, that's, that's where it stops. I don't, I don't think about the fact next that, if I really want to go all in faith, I've got to go all in loving others too. Perhaps you're like me. At the beginning of this year, maybe because of the words that I said in the, in the previous weeks or maybe just because of you, what you're dealing with in your faith, you're thinking about what you want to do in 2015. And most of us maybe are, are setting out these goals. I want to read this much of the Bible. I want to read the Bible this year. I want to serve at X Church. I want to get plugged in. I want to do all this stuff. And a lot of it falls on that idea of, of loving God. But a lot of us, We can walk past the fact that Jesus said a second equally as important, loving everyone. And we can not catch that one when it comes to going all in and thinking, what do I need to do if if I'm going all in when it comes to to loving everyone? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I think there's a really, really great story that kind of illustrates this in God's word. It's in the the book of John. This is the disciple John. He wrote this as he walked with Jesus uh, through this earth. And he just kind of copied down what he saw as he went through it. In John 13, we see this really interesting story. John captures it of sitting down with Jesus to have a meal. And this is what a lot of people would call the Last Supper. Pretty common story, but I want to read it to you. I want us to take a look at it because I believe it is great application to this. So this is what it says. I'm going to read through it. You can follow along with me. You have a Bible. You can turn to John 13.1, or you can read up on the screens with me as well if you'd like to. Here's what it says. Before the Passover celebration... Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you are, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. This is common if you ever read through the Bible. Peter was like, man, he was like all or nothing. He was a loud mouth. But man, he really, really went for us. He says, no, you'll never wash my feet. Basically because, I mean, it's Jesus, Right? This is his leader. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And here's Simon, of course. He exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. He swings back the other way, extreme. And Jesus replied, a person who was bathed all over does not need to wash except for his feet to be entirely clean. That's, you know, old school, like, Jewish tradition type stuff. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you, and I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message." Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now Jesus, obviously, um, Jesus was all in. Last week we looked at, we looked at Daniel, and uh, this week we kind of stepped up our game a little bit. We went right to, the, right to the Savior. But none of us would question the fact that Jesus was all in when it came to his faith, right? I mean, it's Jesus. He was all in. He was 100% there. And we realize the fact that, that, that Jesus gives us this depiction. So we want to look at the story, and I believe there's things that we can pick out of it that are really, really important. As we say, we want to go all in loving people. Last week, when I talked about going all in loving God, I, I found two basic um, basic things. It was, it was growing closer, and it was serving. And I realized, when I was thinking about, about loving others, and just love in general, I realized that's the key. Love in general, that's the key. Growing closer, And serving. Really, that applies in in all these different areas of love in our life. So I want to look at those same two principles in regards to loving others instead of just loving God like we talked about last week. Jesus obviously really loved these men. It says it, so I mean, we we trust it because Jesus made it clear. Um, John wrote it down and he could tell because he literally says, you know, Jesus loved these people. Well, he was one of them. So he was writing his own experience of saying it was really obvious Jesus loved us. I mean, he made it clear with what he did. I could tell Jesus really, really cared for us. So that's telling because he's the one who's writing this. It's not like Jesus wrote this story about himself so he could like say like, yeah, I loved him. They might not have known, but I loved him. John was one of the guys. And he says, man, it was, it was obvious. Jesus loved us. John 13, 1 says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved the disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus spent time with these men, significant time with them. He really, really cared for them. And here's what I want you to see because this is what's so important. It says that he knew his time had come to an end here on earth. This is important, okay? Jesus knew that, that this, was, this was like his last day he had. Tomorrow he was going to be betrayed, he would be beaten, he would be crucified, and he would die. And on his last night here on earth as a free man before he was murdered, he didn't preach a message to thousands of people. He ate dinner with 11 of his closest best friends. That's telling, isn't it? On his last night here, he didn't call together and rally thousands of people. He sat down for a meal with his 11 best friends, and he shared a meal with them and talked with them, made sure they understood how he loved them, how he wanted them to love each other. Very, very telling. Jesus had thousands of people who listened to him. Thousands upon thousands that that came and he would do miracles and he would speak and they would revere him and say, this teaching is unlike anything we've ever heard before. It is so glorious. But then we know that he had 144 people who were really close followers of him. He sent them out to prepare before he'd come to an area. He'd send them to go and tell them, this guy Jesus is coming. You've got to make room in your schedule. When he gets here, you're going to want to hear everything he has to say. Then out of that 144, we know he also had 12. And these were his disciples that literally walked and lived with him day in and day out. They were the people who shared meals with him. And they they went town to town with him. They did ministry with him. Out of that 12, Jesus had three who were even closer. Peter, James, and John. And there's multiple stories in which Jesus would leave the 12 and only take the three to have deeper experiences in faith and conversations with them. Very often, these three men would get pulled out. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And Jesus would spend more time with them, these men who were really like, man, his close allies. And then out of that three, we also know the fact then that Jesus had a best friend in John. It talks about the fact how John was like, I mean, his right-hand man. He literally calls himself in his gospel the disciple Jesus loved. He's like, you know... Everyone, you know, Jesus loved everyone, but, you know, we were bros. Like, everyone was like, oh, John and John and Jesus, man, they're just, they're tight, you know? And it's interesting because John, when I look at it, you would think, really, if Jesus was going to have a a really, really close friend, you would assume it was going to be Peter because Peter, after this, really went on to be the leader in the church. But Jesus' best friend wasn't even necessarily the most talented out of it, it was just his best friend. This guy really connected with him. When you look at the story after this, John doesn't stand out nearly as much as Peter in the church world after this, but John was he was just his best friend. He was the guy who Jesus liked hanging out with. There's a study done, excuse me, in 1985. And they contacted people and asked them about how many close friends they had. They use that terminology, close friends, people who you really share significant portions of your life with. And in 1985, people said three. They repeated the study 30 years later, And they found that it was already down to only two. But even more shocking than that was that the number of people who said zero took a dramatic spike upwards. On on average, everybody had lost about a friend in those last 30 years. On average, most people don't have as many friends. But then this number of people who said, I have zero, spiked dramatically. Our whole entire culture is changing. It's walking away from friendship. It's turning away from relationships and and sharing our lives with people. Instead, we have false avenues of friendship that we use nowadays to try to make us feel like we're connected to people. But in all reality, every one of those things have filters on them where we can screen what they really engage out of our life. We can screen how much they see. We can screen how much they can interact with us and how much they can question us or have conversations with us. Most of us, if we are honest, would realize we have very few deep friends. Think for a second. Just We'll take a quick pause, okay? Introspection. If you're not listening, all of a sudden you're just like, wait, is he talking to me? Yes, focus, focus, <laughs> focus. Stop for a second. How many people do you really have that are close friends? You can share anything with them in your life. They're the people who you can depend on no matter what. They're the ones who you know, always have your back. How many people do we really have in our life who's like this? The Christian faith is not meant to be lived alone. Unlike just like, you know, any other type of faith that we could talk about and thoughts, the Christian faith is so rooted in the fact that we are supposed to have relationships with other people that we're supposed to have friends and we're supposed to share our lives with other people. It is a communal faith from the very beginning, even down to the fact that our God is literally Trinity. It's three in one. It's three spirit in one. And if you're like confusing, yes, always will be, always has been. People have been talking about it for thousands of years. If you can't quite get it, you're in good company, okay? But we serve a triune God, meaning that our God is not just even singular, but he's singular and plural at the same time. Three intimate persons together in one god that it's very very communal through and through that that every time man when jesus was teaching and stuff it was always about people and their relationships with others even when he sent them out he didn't send them out alone he'd send them out in twos it was so relational in all sense of what our faith is it needs to be today even despite our culture becoming less and less and less friendship oriented but it needs to be the right others It can't just be the fact that you need friends. You need to have the right friends. Proverbs says this, and parents will say amen. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble, right? Isn't that what all you parents are trying to teach your kids every day? Walk with wise, become wise. Walk with fools, get in trouble. That's what you're trying to teach them. The same goes for you, mom and dad. The same goes for you, single person. The same goes for you, college student. And you walk with wise, you become wise, you walk with fools, and watch. Sooner or later, you're going to get in trouble. Those things that those people do are going to get painted right over top of you. It's important that as we, we talk about friendship and we talk about loving others, we've got to find the right friends. It's very, very critical. So I want to encourage you, of course, this would be the standard application to all messages in, in Christian faith, but especially when we talk about the whole love everyone right now, what I want to say is when it comes to getting closer, I want you to be like Jesus. I think Jesus gave us an amazing model to it. He had 144 people who he knew, who he was acquaintances with. Take a look around. Around 144 people. A little more. Usually we're more around like 175 in here, but pretty close, okay? Here's your community. People who you're acquaintances with. You bump into them. They're good influences. You talk with them. You create new acquaintances by sticking around before church, staying around after church. You talk to people, and these are your friends. Of course, you have other friends, but here's a great community. Jesus had 12. That's the average number of our subgroups. That's the average number of attendants inside of our subgroups that we're trying to tell you you need to be a part of. Around 12 people that you share your life with, people who you meet with on a regular basis where there isn't this structure, because I understand this is necessary because of the amount of people we have and the content we're trying to get through, but we believe at Acts Church that circles are way better than rows. Way better than rows. When we can get together in a circle and everyone can just talk about what their faith is, is doing in their life, great things happen. Very, very often, and, and I don't take offense to this, there are greater things happening in subgroups throughout the week than, than listening to my message on Sunday morning. Very often, because that's where the application happens, that's where the questions happen, that's where the faith happens, that's where people pray for each other and care for each other. If you're going to be part of Acts in this next year, if you're going to say, I'm going to go in, you cannot do that without becoming part of a group. I'm going to tell you, you can say you want to go all in. If you say you want to go all in, but you're not willing to be part of a group, you're not going all in because that's critical. You need to be part of a group. You need to find a group of people. A lot of them meet every week. Some of them meet every other week. You need to take some time out of your life to sit down with people and have conversations with them about your faith. You need to find a group of people to sit down with and have this talk. Some of them talk about the messages. Some of them talk about curriculum. Some of them watch videos together. If you say, you know what, I don't, I'm not really good at connecting with people, it'd be really great if like the church did something where they hosted something where like the group leaders were there and you could come in and you could just meet them and you would not have to set up stuff. You're so lucky. We're doing that next Sunday night at 6 p.m. right here you don't have to know anybody. You walk in and everyone's excited to be there. They're going to talk to you about their groups. You can get connected even if you are not and You say, you know, man, I'm not really not really that good in groups yet. What I would really love if I could just get together with a group of people, we could like watch a video and just talk about the basics of Christianity. Man, that would really connect with me. You are in luck again. We are running Alpha starting in only a few weeks and that is exactly the idea. February 4th, you come out down to our downtown building. We sit down and we have coffee and dessert together. We watch a video and just discuss. Not trying to force any information down your throat. If you said, yeah, Cameron, I'm, I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm just, I'm just here because I, I thought I'd check it out. Perfect. We would love you to be at Alpha because the best Alpha groups are ones where you have people who are pre-Christians, Christians, people who hate God, people who love God, and we just talk about faith. We believe that that's a great mindset. It's just people talking about what their experiences are in regards to faith. You need to join a group. It's critical. You need that group of 12 people who you're sharing your life with. Jesus then had three, and he had one. And these were his best friends. And this is why we're so passionate about groups. This is why we're so passionate about you guys sticking around. Because we believe, what we say at Acts Church, is we believe everyone needs a high five, H-I-5, human interaction with five key people. We think it's, it's absolutely critical. We want every single person in our church to find three friends that they walk through their faith. Three people. You're going to find them in groups. You're going to find them by hanging out. You're going to find them by serving on Sunday morning. Three friends who you can share your faith with, and you're walking through faith at the same time. We want you to find one person who's smarter than you in faith, somebody who's been through more trials, somebody who's walked down more roads that you can sh- share your life with, and they can speak wisdom into it. Now, I'm just going to tell you right away, I don't have time to be all of your guys' person. I'll talk to you on Sunday mornings. I'll share the message with you. I love to pray with you. But I'm saying that's why you go to groups because you find people where you're like, you know, you've walked down a lot of the same paths that I'm going through. Would you be willing to just even share some of what God's done in your life? Those are people you need. And then you need to find somebody who's earlier in their faith walk than you are. And you need to be that investor, that same person you're looking up to. You need to be that person for someone else and say, you know, I don't know everything, but I will tell you, you know, what I know. And I will encourage you in what you're doing. This is really, really good because you know why? You're going to hate that I'm going to say this, but it's true. I can make better decisions for your life than you can. It's true. Because I won't make them out of emotion. I'll look at the facts and share with you what actually it looks like. When you say this, 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 and this, I'll say, you know, it looks like this. And you'll say, but what about this? (laughs) Exactly. Because I'm not experiencing the emotion of it. And sometimes that wise word from somebody or maybe somebody was just praying for you and asking God, would God reveal something to you? Man, it can be critical in regards to us walking through our faith. It's so important. This is great, being part of this relationship and this conversation. and You're going to hear God's word. You need to have friends. I'm going to tell you, and this is why it's so critical, we believe that if you don't find that high five, you're probably going to burn out and you're probably going to walk away. You've got to have people who care about you. You've got to have people who you care about. And the Christian faith is meant to be relational. It's meant to be this relational, conversational faith. And if we don't have that, I'm not saying that you can't, because I'm sure there's people who are. They've been saved on some lost island somewhere, and they can sustain because of what God's doing, and God's grace is great. But I'm saying your likelihood is far greater that you might walk away when you have no friends that are encouraging you, only friends from your previous life which are discouraging you. It's important we have those people who are walking with us who are saying, you know, I know it's a bad day, you can make it. Instead of your friends who are like, yeah, it's a bad day, you should probably give up on that. That's not the person who you want speaking into your life all the time. You need these friends. So if we're going to go all in when it comes to loving everyone, first of all, you need to grow closer to people. I guarantee you all of us could really, really use to take a step forward in faith. And I know it's uncomfortable, but if we were to develop more friendships, I guarantee you all of us would be far more joyful in our lives as well. Very, very critical. Second, we need to serve. We need to serve when it comes to loving everyone. So we need to grow closer. We need to serve. Jesus did this. He made it really clear in John 13. Let me read these verses for you. John 13, 4 through 5 says, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Skip down to verse 12 through 15. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So, Starting next Sunday, we are going to start a foot-washing ceremony every week down front. It's funny. I couldn't even keep a straight face when I said that. (laughs) Couldn't even keep a straight face. It's not what Jesus is saying. The reason why he did this is because this this was the job of a lowly servant or slave. You would come in and your feet would be caked with nasty garbage and, and dirt and dust on your sandals and a lowly servant would come and wash the master's feet. And Jesus, I mean, their Lord, their king, the one person on earth who shouldn't have had to be humble when he was here, right? I mean, the son of God. He kneels down and he washes their feet, as if to say, and this is the idea, I'm not too great to serve you. I'm not too great to serve you because our kingdom, the whole Christian kingdom that we're looking for, God's kingdom we're looking for, is a kingdom in reverse, where instead of gaining position where more people serve you, it's the opposite. Where gaining position means more people you serve. That's what it even means for someone like, like us who are, who are pastors, my mother and I, as we teach. It's not like you think like, oh man, it must be interesting having all these people underneath you. No, 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 flip it. It's all these people on top of you. Where you feel the responsibility and weight of saying, I'm seeking out God's word so I can, so I can try to give you something you need. I'm seeking God to say, what, does, what do you need to speak to this, these people who are coming here today? And they need you to speak something into their life. We become more and more like Jesus the more we become a servant. So if we're gonna go all in when it comes to loving others, then we have to go all in when it comes to serving others as well. One is, of course, to be serving our friends. This relates, right? Jesus, a group of friends, serving each other, not being too high and mighty to be able to serve those friends. But, where does that cut off? Is it just our friends? Is it just our, our church family? Is it just our, our subgroup? What is it? And Jesus actually spelled this all out. Back in Luke, after he basically said this exact same parable, you know, the stuff we're talking about of love God, love everyone, basically the exact same story, afterwards, this guy basically tried to, he tried to clarify the situation. And, and the Bible actually puts it, basically he tried to justify his actions, basically trying to figure out, am I doing enough or not? And Jesus said the whole idea, love God, love your neighbors. So this is what happens, starting in verse 29 of Luke 10. It says, The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Basically, they say, like, so who does this apply to, Jesus? Jesus replied with a story, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus, when his answer came about, to really clarify the situation, he told this story to show the fact that your neighbor is anyone. Your neighbor is everyone anyone who's in need, everyone who's in need, that this situation was a Jew and a Samaritan and they would have not got along at all. I mean, really, sharp divides back in this culture between the two of them. Most Samaritans would walk by and say, good for that Jew, he got what he deserved. That's like the cultural stuff, the sharpness that's in this. Maybe we don't hear because we're a long way past it. The original hearers would have heard that. They'd have been like, oh man, a Samaritan came along. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna spit on him while he's down? Is he gonna kick on him while he's down? He says, no, he picks him up and he soothes his wounds. Takes him and he pays for him to become healthy again, to take care of him. And Jesus basically just, I mean, just blew all of the limits out of the water with that statement. That's what he did. He says, all those things that you're thinking right now when I say love your neighbor, and you're, you're probably saying, well, here's probably the barrier, and here's probably the barrier. Jesus just comes through and just smashes through all of them. He says, there's no line between who your neighbor is and who your neighbor isn't. Everyone is your neighbor. Whoever's in need, whoever needs your help, whoever needs, man, your service. We have to realize that if we're going to go all in, we have to be willing to serve. We have to be willing to serve other people. It's easy to talk about serving God, right? Because we think, yeah, God deserves it. God deserves my service. It can be harder to talk about serving others. Very often they don't necessarily deserve it. We don't do it because they deserve it. We do it because Jesus commanded it. We do it for our God. We don't do it for them. Jesus spent significant amounts of time serving others who would never, ever follow him or thank him. Substantial amounts of time healing people, substantial amounts of time preaching to people who would turn their back on him and despise him. But he served them because that was our calling. That was his calling and our calling to follow him. Whether or not they're righteous or whether or not they deserve it you're going to go all in. You've got to go all in when it comes to loving everyone with service. How can we do this? You can serve your subgroup. Join a subgroup, you become part of it. Man, serve that group of people. Is there something I can do to help you? One of the best questions you can put into your vocabulary is this. Really simple, really important. How can I help? Four words. How can I help? can change the entire situation. When people begin to share all the things that they're dealing with, to share the things, just you stopping, and you can serve them so much just by saying, I heard everything you said. How can I help? Could I pray for you? Would it help if I just did something little? Would that take a strain off of you? What could I do? Serving others in that capacity, man, it changes everything. Everything. Even when we jump out of our subgroup and, and we step out into our, our day-to-day lives, our family, our workplace, our school, whatever it is, we need to begin to serve those people. Not to think, like, man, sometimes they're the hardest people on me about my faith. We begin to serve them. You begin to be kind to them and you ask them, man, how, how could I help? Is there something I could do to make your day better? Instead of always focusing on making your day better, is there something I could do to make your day better? Man, that will mess people up. It will mess people up. They're mean to you. They're the people who, at work, man, they're always the ones picking on you. You come in and say, you know, you look like you have a lot on your plate. How, how could I help? What? And you could just change somebody's day like that. You could change someone's perspective on you. You could change someone's perspective on Jesus that quick. We need to serve others. Another great way, this is why we love being a church, is because we have opportunities as a group of people that we would never have on our own. Every year we do kindness events in our community. We partner with the city and we do events for families and we do all different things throughout the year where we serve our community we call them kindness events and i want to encourage you there's a great opportunity because we do all the legwork we do all the pre-planning we do all the everything up to it we do all the follow-up afterwards it's so much easier You say i'd love to do it but if only there was a way you literally sign up on a sheet you show up we tell you here's what you can do to serve this community you do it and you get to be part of something where we get to reach a whole bunch of people hometown halloween this last year we had like five six hundred people there We got to give them all a free lunch. We got to give all their kids, their kids got to go to a petting zoo, their kids got to go through this hay maze, they got to play games. People walk away going, you know, I don't think I really believe everything that church believes, but I believe in how cool they are and how nice they are. I can get behind that. I've had multiple people say to us who are pre-Christians, don't want to come to our church, say, man, the stuff you do in this community is really cool though. Man, my kids went to that. That was a great time. You see, we serve them. We serve them with kindness, and we go out and we do that. And that's so critical to our faith as we grow. When you get to do that, man, it it grows you. Something inside of you changes when you do it. We not only have our kindness, but we have our help strategy, which is our missions and ministry strategy, H-E-L-P. It's hungry, enslaved, lost, and plagued. And the groups of people who, they have deficiencies that we can help meet in their life. We not only have... Global partners where you can give to them if you want to financially or you can even see sometimes there's actually like missions opportunities to be part of them. They're all organizations that are killing it when it comes to these different areas. You can also serve locally. Every one of those things have a local branch here that we help with. We help with pads and we help with the food pantry and we help with Freedom House and we go and we do things with them. This next year we'll be doing a service project to every one of those organizations And you can sign up and you can go and you can serve there. Not only that, but we have people who they're like, oh, I wonder what I could do with this. Go and serve at those places outside of us doing a special day. Find a place to serve, whether it's one of these three, which we know are really, really great, or it's another place in your community. Begin to serve other people. It changes us. It changes our perspective and it certainly grows and deepens our faith. Take opportunities this next year to grow, not only in fact growing closer, but also in serving. Take up that, that, I guess, that charge and say, this next year, I'm not just going to use every last minute of my day, of my week, of my month and year on stuff that I want to accomplish for me. I'm going to take and mark off some time to be able to serve others. So this next year, you, you, lock back in. You were asleep again. I got You. You. What are you going to do in this next year to go all in when it comes to loving everyone? What are you going to do to push your chips to the table? What are you going to do to step out of your normal pattern? I do not want you, in just a second, when I finish this service, just to stand up and walk out. I need you to find what your application is today. Perhaps your application today is saying, I really, really need to go all in when it comes to, to growing closer when, it's, when I talk about loving everyone. I haven't been part of a group. I need to be part of a group. I need to go back to guest services. You need to talk to Amy and say, can you put my information down? I want to be here for this group link next week. Maybe that's your application. You say, next Sunday night, I'm coming here. I'm going to hear about this. I'm going to find and just say, is there something I could be a part of? Try it out. Literally, try it out. Even if you don't like it, that's okay. But try. I wonder how many opportunities we miss in our lifetime just because we don't have the courage to try. If you don't like it, that's okay, but try. Have the courage. Perhaps you're going to grow a friendship with someone in your group. You're going to be intentional about asking them out for coffee or spending a little bit of extra time with them. You're going to stick around and talk to people after church instead of running as soon as service is over. Maybe you need to really step it up when it comes to serving. You've never, ever participated in one of our kindness events in one of our help days, you've never been part of that. And you say, this next year, when, the next time we do one of those service projects, I'm going to be there. I'm going to give some of my time. Maybe you say, you know, I would really like to help on a week-to-week basis. We have groups of people who go in and they serve meals at PADS every single month. And you could say, I could make food. I could be part of that. That's a way that I could serve. When we do our kindness events, maybe it's coming and being a part of that, inviting people to it. Or perhaps you say, uh, when it comes to serving others, maybe you're at a place where you were already part of a group, and maybe your way that you're going to serve others is by going to Amy and saying, I was part of a subgroup, and I'm going to step up, and I'm going to lead a subgroup. I'm going to invite other people from this church, and I'm going to try to serve them and make sure that they grow closer to Jesus in this next year. We cannot go all in without going all in loving everyone. It's critical. It's the only way to do it. So we believe this next year. That if we step out, we see Jesus move in amazing ways. We talked about 2014. 2015 is ahead of us. Are we going to keep the chips? Or are we going to push into the center of the table? Love God, love everyone. How can we go all in with both of those things? Today, you have the opportunity to decide whether or not 2015 is going to be awesome by accident Are awesome by design, because you make a decision today. You say, I'm not going to be the same person as I was last year. I'm going to take a step forward in regards to these things. I'm going to open myself up to maybe being part of groups. I'm going to step out and I'm going to serve in this church. I'm going to take these opportunities that are set in front of me and do them. And I believe wholeheartedly that if you do, it could be the best year of your life. And if all of us do, it could be the best year for Acts Church ever. We look back and we say, 2014, that was cool. And with 2015, and that was amazing. Remember this. Faith measures how much we see God move. Do you want to see God move in your life? If yes, then you need to take steps of faith. You need to step out into slight uncertainty and watch as God meets you and does amazing things. If we never step out, we don't get to see God move. So take that next step, whatever it is, whatever the application is to today, to last week, take that step. If you're confused, I don't know what I should do, go back and talk to someone at guest service and say, what what do you think I could do? Here's what I'm doing. What could I do to be able to really move forward in my faith? I want you to pray with me and then I got one last thing for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, for... um, for meeting with us today. I really believe that as we've come in here, that you have, you have met with people and perhaps you've opened their eyes to something that they haven't looked at before. I believe that as they've um, just opened their hearts for a few minutes, that you've met with them and you've communicated to them so that when they walk out of here, they realize that, that you have even greater things for them. That's the awesome part about serving you, God, is that we know that, um, man, you love us. You find us right where, you, right where we are, but you love us so much that you don't leave us right where we are. And you say, come with me, I have greater plans for you. And this is part of it this next year, going all in and saying, man, I'm all in when it comes to loving God. I'm all in when it comes to loving everyone. And Let's Make 2015 the greatest year of our lives. Jesus, I pray that you would walk with them as they leave this, help them apply this word to their heart, help them be changed this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When you leave here today, you go through the doors, you are going to get yourself a fancy little gift. It is a poker chip customized with the Axe Church logo on one side and 2015 all in on the back side. I I want you to take this home with you. If You're saying 2015 is going to be the year. I want you to grab it, put it in your pocket, take it home with you, put it in a place where you see it and say, in 2015, I decide that I'm going to go all in and I'm going to make a difference this next year. All right, stand up with me. Stand up with me real quick. Thank you. Yeah, blood to the legs, blood to the legs. Terrific. This next year, how are we going to go all in? Two things, right? How are we going to go all in? Love God, love everyone. All right, have a great week, guys. Love you guys.